You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Digital identities are at the core of uh, the majority of breaches that have been happening over the last five or six years. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Carol Terrio returns with her interview with Julie Smith from the Security Alliance and Kelvin Coleman from National Cybersecurity Alliance. And they're discussing Identity Management Day. All right, Joe, let's uh, kick things off with some stories. My story is a little off the beaten path for us, but it's kind of why I like it. This is a story from Wired, and it's titled How Pixar Uses Hypercolors to Hack Your Brain. So I don't know about you, Joe. I'm a big fan of the Pixar movies. I enjoy them as well. Yeah, I I would think it's probably fair to say that Pixar may be the most successful movie studio in Hollywood history in terms of having a consistent high level of quality uh, with the movies that they've released. To me, the only stinker has been Cars 2. (laughs) I've actually never seen Cars 2. (laughs) Well, consider yourself lucky. (laughs) This story is about, of course, Pixar being a studio that produces animated content. They have Mm -hmm. total control over the colors that they generate in their movies. Right. And as we know, colors can really affect your mood. We associate certain colors with certain types of moods and environments. You think of a a warm sunset as being something relaxing or romantic, right? Right. Think of uh, the the cold light of fluorescent bulbs, that green cast. You know, you'll often see that used in medical dramas or it it has a sort of a a foreboding tone to it. Yeah, you say that cold fluorescent, and I instantly think in terms of Pixar, Monsters Incorporated. Mm, Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So not surprisingly, the artists at Pixar use this to their advantage to help put us into a mood. They use color, light color, of course, sound as well. But uh, this article is talking about the color that they use to help nudge us in the direction that they want us to be, put us in a mindset Hmm. to have uh, the, the moods that they want when they're telling their stories. By the way, I should mention this article uh, is uh, an excerpt from a book called Full Spectrum, uh, How the Science of Color Made Us Modern, written by Adam Rogers. Uh, Seems like that book uh, is interesting and worth checking out. Um, But the really interesting thing to me this article digs into is how the science and the technology is progressing when it comes to movie theaters' ability to project images on the screen. And specifically, they're talking about movie theaters that are equipped with Dolby Digital Projection, which uh-huh. is uh, you know, some of the elite movie theaters. Instead of projecting uh, using uh, a high-intensity light bulb, they're actually projecting on the screen using lasers. Really? Frickin', frickin lasers, Joe. Frickin' <laughs> lasers. <laughs> are they attached to sharks' heads, Dave? <laughs> well, I, I like to think that maybe up in the projection booth, sure. There's a, <laughs> there's a shark there's with a, a laser on his head. There's a big fish tank up there. There's a shark, and he's got a laser attached to his head, and that's how that's how it works. We can, I mean, hey, if it worked for a Pixar movie, right? Right, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> what's interesting about this is that these projectors are capable of generating colors that 
don't exist in nature. Right. <laughs> right, right. Because they can make pure wavelengths and the precision with which they can do this with these lasers, they can make colors that are unique. Uh, and also they can ha- do them with uh, an intensity of both saturation and brightness that previously they haven't been able to achieve. So uh, the folks at uh, Pixar are taking advantage of these uh, Dolby Cinema capabilities. In fact, this article says that they've produced versions of their movies that work within color spaces that aren't even available to consumers yet. So as the technology improves and you have you know TVs with high dynamic range, as that technology increases, as the color gamut spreads on these televisions that you can buy at home, Pixar is ready to release versions of their movies that can take advantage of that. They also talk about how they could take advantage of things like, you know, persistence of vision, you know, yes. those those, uh, those little uh, optical illusions that you enjoy, you know, when you're a kid and beyond, you stare at something for a while and then you look away and you see an after image. So they can take advantage of that and they can, they say they can actually use that to create colors in your mind that otherwise wouldn't exist in the real world, colors that you wouldn't be capable of actually seeing. Really? So, That's yeah. fascinating. It is fascinating. And, uh, you know, I think to, to the point of our podcast here, I, I think it's just... It's interesting from the point of view of the possibility of manipulation, where yeah. if I can present you with a certain set of, of, of circumstances that could predispose you to be open to a type of messaging or help put you in a certain mood, either a relaxed mood or perhaps a fearful mood, right. you know, based on color. If you think about it, this cinema is is an art form, and one of the motivations or purposes of art is to elicit an emotional response from you, right? To make you right. feel something. You know, you go to an art museum, and sometimes you see something that really moves you, and say, you just go, that is just downright beautiful. And when you're experiencing a, a movie, the director and the producer, and all, you know, they're all trying to elicit an emotional response. And I imagine that with the way Pixar is doing it, it's just a more effective way of eliciting that emotional response. And when I think back to what my is probably my favorite movie, Monsters, Inc., from Pixar, I remember the colors in that. I really enjoyed the color of Mike Wazowski and Sully, even though they were monsters, these colors were actually beautiful. And I just remember going, I could watch this movie a hundred times. Well, and you know, probably the most famous example of this is The Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy goes from, you know, black and white Kansas to Mm -hmm. color Oz. How how more... more striking and and in your face could the transition be. Interesting article. Again, it's over on Wired. It's titled How Pixar Uses Hypercolors to Hack Your Brain. The article is written by Adam Rogers, actually an excerpt from his book Full Spectrum. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Do check it out. That is my story this week. Joe, what do you have for us? So Dave, you know I'm a big fan of multi-factor authentication, right? Yes, indeed. I make no secret about that. I always say, (laughs) use multi-factor authentication as much as you can. Right. Well, Security Boulevard has a story that's actually from a security company called Enzoic, and they posted it on their website. It's about ways that malicious actors can break into accounts with MFA enabled, uh, Hmm. MFA being multi-factor authentication. So the title of the article is How Social Engineering Tactics Can Crack Multi-Factor Authentication. They're not really cracking multi-factor authentication with these tactics. They are just getting around them, which is the way malicious actors and and even, even white hat hackers think. They think, okay, here's a barrier to my progress. How do I get around this? 
Mm-hmm. And the article talks about three ways to bypass multi-factor authentication. And the first one is the old tried and tested and true and constantly successful call tech support and impersonate the victim, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. One of the big problems this article points out is that tech support is a customer service job and customer satisfaction is a very high priority for those jobs. So the cards are already stacked in the attacker's favor. They will call in using a spoof number so that that kind of acts as another way that the attackers can impersonate the victim. They'll have the information that tech support needs to verify the person over the phone, right? They'll already have that data ready from uh, intelligence gathering, open source intelligence gathering usually. Uh, And they'll say something like, I lost my MFA thing, whatever that thing is, whether it's a token that generates a one-time password or if it's uh, like a YubiKey or one of those Google Titan keys. They'll say, I lost it and I need access right now because there's something big happening. So here again, we see the artificial time constraint that they're putting on the tech support person. I've seen videos of Rachel Tobeck calling into credit card companies to do this, to get access to credit card accounts for a journalist by impersonating the journalist's wife. (laughs) <laughs> and, and playing the sounds of, of babies crying in the background. It's a really effective way to get into an account. There's a few defenses against this. And one, and the article mentions this, is have a policy that just doesn't allow this. Hmm. I don't know how effective that is because there is a legitimate use case where somebody loses their multi-factor authentication device. You can't just lock that person out of their account forever, but you can change that by having a policy that the tech support person has to call the number on file for the customer. Again, this is an inbound call. The customer is saying, I've lost my multi-factor authentication. Please help me. They're spoofing the number that's on file, but that's not good enough. The tech support guy has to say, okay, I will call you right back at the number we have on file for you. And then hang up the phone and dial out to the number. Now, that doesn't protect against a SIM swap. So if somebody SIM swaps your phone and your cell phone is, is the number on file, then they're going to get that phone call. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you're not going to get it. So they're still going to get around it. But another good policy for this is have the customer show up in person to get the new token. This is a really good policy for companies where you have on-site employees and for governments. There may be other policy solutions to this, but I think the solution to this problem is really a policy solution. I don't know that there's much technology that can be done here. Well, it seems to me that it all, in, in each of these cases, what you're you're doing is you're slowing things down. Right, exactly. Right? As we always talk about, slow it down. That's that, right. That solves a lot of these problems. Yep. You know, let's say you're a bank and your customer calls in and says, I've lost my multi-factor authentication device. And you say to them, okay, that's fine. We will send you a new one for $25. And Mm -hmm. that's our policy. Now you still can get access to your account, but you cannot get instantaneous access to your account. A lot of times that need for instantaneous access is a ruse. The other thing you can say is if you need access right now to your account, you can go to one of our branches. Uh, That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to show up in person. Bring your ID. Uh, right. And bring your ID. Right. And then <laughs> you can do that that business there at the branch. Otherwise, I'm sorry, you're, you've you've lost your multi-factor authentication and you're just going to have to deal with the time delay. That's what happens. Right. right. You put this in place for a reason. Right. This, and here's you did the reason. Because as far as I know, you <laughs> right. could be a scammer. Right. Right. And if this were a scammer and I helped him, you'd be very angry with me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The second one they talk about in this article is fake websites. These are essentially phishing websites, right? We've all heard of phishing kits and, and phishing landing pages where you get an email that says you need to update your account or sign in. Usually you get these for PayPal or from Microsoft uh, Office 365. You click on the link, which you should never do, but you, you click on the link and it takes you to a site that looks exactly like the real site. In fact, it may just be a copy of it. And then mm-hmm. it, it prompts you for your username and password 
And if you don't have multi-factor authentication turned on, then it just passes you off to the original website and the attackers still have your, your credentials. They keep them and now, now you're hosed. But if you do have multi-factor authentication, what they're going to do is they're going to try to log in with your credentials and they're going to see that it asks for a multi-factor code. And then they're just going to turn around and ask you for the multi-factor code. And if you provide that, they're going to provide it to the website and they're into your account. That works yeah. really well with uh, the SMS message. It works with a one-time code generated by either uh, authenticator application or even one of those little tokens that you give to your employees. You know, the, the, you've seen them, the secure ID tokens. But one thing it does not work with is uh, universal two-factor, like in the YubiKey and the Titan. And it, it doesn't work because those keys, those private keys are generated on the fly using uh, the secret that's inside of the hardware and some other information. And part of the other information is the domain that the request is coming from. So because the domain from a scam domain is going to be different from the domain from the, the, the actual domain, the keys won't be the same and it won't work. Right. And I, I point out too that this is uh, sort of one of the, the lesser emphasized uh, benefits of using a password manager because a password ah, manager right. also keeps track of the web domain that you're trying to use your credentials on. So if you go to one of these fake websites that's impersonating a real website, your password manager is going to say, hold on here, before I fill in this stuff, this is not the usual place where I fill in this stuff. Are you right. sure you want to do this? So that that's good thing as well. With a browser-integrated password manager, it won't fill it in because it, it's it, only right. going to put that password into a domain. Like, let's say your Google password is only going to go into a Google domain. It's not going to go into joesfishingsite.com. The password manager will go, I don't have any password for joefishingsite.com. You're out of luck here. So that's a really good point, Dave. And, and these browser-integrated password managers are, are really good for exactly that purpose. Now, I, mm -hmm. the one I use is not browser-integrated. It's a standalone application. Finally, this is a big one. The way they get around these multi-factor authentication protected accounts is with the knowledge-based authentication that is the security questions. Now, you remember a couple of years ago when Sarah Palin was running for vice president? Yeah. And somebody uh, got into her Yahoo email account. The way they did that was they couldn't guess Sarah Palin's password. So they used Yahoo's password reset feature and answered the security questions. And the security questions were, where did you go to high school? Things like that. And that information is readily available <laughs> about, about right. a lot of people, right? It, especially somebody who's running for vice president. What cities can you see from your house? <laughs> yes. It's not a good form of authentication. It's a very weak form of authentication. This article makes the point that if you have a, uh, you know, what was your first pet's name? Somebody who, who can see your information on Facebook can probably collect that information. They right. almost certainly can collect the information of the high school you went to. Uh, it's, it's not that hard to find out. One of the big points that this article makes about these security questions is that your account is only sec as secure as the weakest link in that account, in, in the mm. security chain here. And if Knowledge-based mm -hmm. authentication is the weakest link. That's the level of security on your account. It's not any better than that. It doesn't matter if you have multi-factor authentication enabled. It doesn't matter if you have a, a really strong password. If somebody can get around those things by answering simple questions about you, then they can get into your account. So my recommendation is lie. Lie on those right. questions. Right, um, right. Some websites insist that you fill these out. Uh, my password manager has a space for notes. And in that note space, I write a little hint to the question and my answer to the question. For example, uh, what city were you born in? I might say Timbuktu, right? Mm -hmm. uh, take, pick, mm -hmm. take a wild guess. I was born in Timbuktu, Mali. Uh, <laughs> you know, or I might even not pick a name for a city. 
right? I might yeah, say the moon. Yeah, yeah the moon. Saturn. Right. Or, <laughs> right. or you know, the green cup that's on my desk could be the answer. Just pick something else. Don't put something that's actually accurate in there because that's really easy to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I want to say about this is training is always a good countermeasure to these attacks, right? These kind of attacks uh, go around. So train the, the, the people that answer the phones to recognize the signs of a uh, social engineering attack. The, the biggest red flag for, for tech support is the artificial time constraint, the immediate need that you have to meet right now. and We can't wait for the security protocol. We have to get this done. That should be a huge red flag for anybody that works in tech support. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, it is an interesting uh, article for sure. We will have a link to that in the show notes. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from a listener named Brett. Brett writes, I work in a PC repair shop and deal every day with people who have let scammers remote into their PCs. Usually the scammers type out everything the customer will be required to pay on a notepad text file. Normally they are boring, but I couldn't contain my laughter while reading this one. The customer didn't pay, but was worried their kids would have to live with the shame of no internet. Thought you might enjoy it as well. Dave, this is a good one. Take it away. As we are the U.S. government authorized company, from today onwards, your case will be handled by the senior security department. Some legal paperwork will be sent to you in writing, which you have to sign it. A team of five level 100 digital home network technicians will be handling this case. You have no choice. You must accept. Your IP hangs into balance. You don't want bad IP for lifetime, permanently, as in forever. Once it will be fixed, nobody in lifetime will be bailed to hijack your use your identity again in future. Already, all e-vices, all machines, every device will be safe and secured forever. We use top-secret GovIT tools you'll find nowhere else. These tools provide each and everything you need to never be hacked again. 1. Land Security, $214.25 tax. 2. WAN Brickhard Security, $342.15 tax. 3. Supermassive Firewall, $184.25 tax. 4. Even More Massive Firewall, $1,425.25 tax. 5. Extremely Even More Massive Super Duper Firewall, $2,880.01. 6. Facebook Protection, $759.99. 7. Hacker Attacker Pro Super Deluxe, $1,237.25. Total, $7,043.10. One-time payment for lifetime. Warranty in writing will be sent to you from USA Legal Services that after today, if anything goes illegal or wrong under your name, you have no responsibility for all your devices. We have a coupon if decide to do it now. We'll waive $5,000.10 and add in 8th software, Hacker Don't Come Backer software, which costs $3,800. If you don't do now, I have to blacklist UIP and you never will be able to use internet again. Think of your kids living a life of shame with no internet. I'm almost speechless with this one. Extremely, even more massive, super duper firewall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this smacks seems of, legit. Huh? <laughs> seems legit. Seems legit, right? This smacks of those uh, those Nigerian prince emails that they're just getting ridiculous in order to try to weed out the people that won't fall for it and, and just take the people that will fall for it and are just going to cough up a credit card number almost. 
Yeah, could be. I mean, this could thing be. is so so out in left field. Um, <laughs> I can't believe a, a, somebody actually wrote this down on on a notepad to leave behind as evidence once they had remote access to someone's computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, they, they seem to feel like they're operating uh, with impunity. They do. All right, well, thanks uh, to our listener for sending that in. That you, is Greg. a good one. We would love to hear from you. You can uh, send us emails to hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Joe, it is always great to have Carol Terrio return to our show with uh, her interviews. Always enjoy those. This week, she comes to us uh, with her conversation with Julie Smith from the Security Alliance and Kelvin Coleman from the National Cybersecurity Alliance. And uh, she spoke to them uh, on the uh, ramp up to Identity Management Day. Here's Carol Terrio. All right. So Identity Management Day aims to inform us about the dangers of casually or improperly managing and securing digital identities by raising awareness, sharing best practices, and leveraging the support of vendors in the identity security space. Sounds lofty. Well, we have two founding members, the brains behind Identity Management Day, Security Alliance Executive Director Julie Smith, and National Cybersecurity Alliance Executive Director. What a title, Kelvin Goldman. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. We are recording this session the day before your big launch. So are you guys excited? Tired? Talk to me. Yes, all of the above. All all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) What has been the most stressful thing? For me, uh, just kind of coming down to the home stretch, um, you know, it's been uh, an amazing journey. We this, which started about six months ago when the idea came to us from one of our vendor members, uh, Centrify, and uh, it's been a lot of discussions, a lot of planning, and some some great execution by the team over the last uh, month. Really, uh, we announced it on February twenty third, uh, and then leading up to tomorrow, it's just pulling together all of the content that's been created, uh, responding back to the over 150 champions that have raised their hand and said, we want to be a part of this, uh, and and really just getting organized for tomorrow so that uh, we've got a great day of events and content that's going to be shared uh, across the industry for the benefit of not just consumers, but organization as well. So you're, you're basically saying you guys are like swans right now. Everything is going perfectly to plan, but underneath the water, your feet are really <laughs> pumping. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're certainly putting a lot of, um, you know, effort into uh, this wonderful, wonderful day, Identity Management Day. And as you point out, it's the first one, right? And so you're probably as nervous on this one as you ever will be. I guess it's like, you know, having kids, like your first one, you're like so nervous and, and oh my God, you know, everything. And then you start having more, you're like, yeah, it'll be fine. You know? <laughs> I know my, my grandmother had eight kids. I wonder by the eighth if she even noticed, you know? Exactly. <laughs> So tell me, so what are the main messages you're trying to get across with this day? And and I also want to talk about resources later as well. The, the main message that we want to get across is that digital identities are at the core of uh, the majority of breaches that have been happening over the last five or six years. Mm. Uh, the research that we've done, uh, 79% of the organizations have suffered an identity-related breach Gee, really? in the last two years. 
And identities are the thing that, you know, it's, it's the low hanging fruit for hackers. All they need to do is get access to a username and password, a, mm-hmm. a legitimate username and password. They log in and then they start to do their damage. Uh, and I think in the past, identity management, especially for organization, has been considered more operational. So how do I get my employees, for example, uh, access to the applications they need to do their jobs? Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's, it's a security threat. It is uh, the uh, main thing that hackers are going after. And organizations need to really think about it from a security perspective. So I would say that's, that's the main message from an organizational perspective. You know, uh, Kelvin and his organization do a lot around educating consumers on how to stay safe online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'll let, I'll let him speak to the messages we want to put out there for the consumer side of, uh, of this story. Yeah, because things have gotten bad, haven't they, Kelvin? They have. They they really have. But uh, manageable, though, right? And we don't want to give the impression that this is a foregone conclusion and people really can't do anything about it. Uh, the primary message, Carol, that we're putting out to people is, uh, you know, be, be identity smart, right? Um, just as you protect your Social Security, your physical Social Security number, um, you certainly wouldn't have your card flashing it out everywhere letting people see that social security number or driver's license or any other part of uh, what's called PII, right? Personally identifiable information. Uh, you should protect that same information uh, online, especially online. And so uh, be identity smart is really what our message is for the month. And many of the things that uh, Julie is talking about as it relates to enterprises or companies, those very same things can be applied to individuals, right? And even as as Julie talks about the 150 champions that we have, uh, many of those are companies, right? Corporations that represent thousands of, of, of employees. Uh, but some of those are individual people who are just saying, hey, we want to uh, really support the day as well. And, and so be identity smart is really what our message is and what we try to drive home. It's just interesting how on one side, lots of companies are trying to make everything frictionless, like one click from Amazon and da-da-da. And they have all your information already secured, some companies say, but others may not. <laughs> but at the same time, we want to tell people, be really careful with your identity because it, it you know, that's the authorization process to so many different services across the digital sphere. Yeah, absolutely. We, we try not to complicate it uh, too much, right? Because people have so much to think about. And the one thing that you may be surprised when we say be identity smart, the first thing we advise people is to think before you click. To your point about yeah. the seamless sort of one-click uh, future that we have, well, think about that, though, uh, before you click. If you're receiving an enticing offer via email or text, uh, don't be so quick to click on that link because if it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? Uh, instead, you know, go to the company's website and verify that it's legitimate. Now, this is an extra step. I get it. And, and people are trying to take steps out of their lives, not put steps into them. Uh, but as old country boy from, you know, South Carolina, I was, I was always told an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? And so <laughs> <laughs> make sure that, you know, you, you are taking time to think before you click. Uh, one of the last things I'll tell you, well, you know, we're going to have this conversation. Share with care. <laughs> Right. Uh, think yeah. before posting about yourself and others online. Consider what a post reveals, who might see it, how it might affect others. Um, and so those two things alone, think where you click and share with care, 
can do a, can go a long way in mitigating the challenges as it relates to identity management. Yeah. The, the one thing that's very much kind of following in line with what Kelvin's saying, very much a crossover between, you know, employees uh, and individuals. So as a, you know, shopping online as a consumer and an employee within an organization is good password hygiene. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, there's a, a significant, I think it's 33% of uh, consumers out there use the same password. Uh, every time they create an account. And if you cross that over into your role as an employee, that puts your organization at risk as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'd throw that one into the, the top three things that people should do to practice uh, good identity hygiene. Yes, absolutely. So tell us what um, services or resources are available on your website? Because of course, we're going to be listening to this after your big launch day. So uh, I had a look and there's tons of stuff there. Maybe you can just tell us a bit about what people can find there if they're interested in looking. Yeah. So on the on identitymanagementday.org uh, is the website and you'll find a resources section. Uh, And there's everything from uh, advice from our identity management champions to white papers uh, from organizations uh, here in the U.S. that are are focused on healthcare. We'll be adding blogs from identity management champions and other uh, sort of industry experts. You know, one of the reasons we uh, partnered with Uh, Kelvin and the National Cybersecurity Alliance is because of what they do with Cybersecurity Awareness Month, Mm -hmm. which is uh, October. And so the goal is it's not just one day focused on identity security and identity management, but it's all throughout the year. And we'll also put a a, a spotlight on it again in October. Uh, So come back to the uh, website often and and you'll find uh, the resources growing. Brilliant. Kelvin, anything to add to that? Our resources at no cost. Maybe I'll add that. By the way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very easy to understand. Layman term things. Uh, we don't get too technical in our language or jargon, uh, but no cost resources that people can take advantage of. Be identity smart and you don't have to go it alone. Uh, there are organizations out there who, who are certainly willing to help. And the businesses want to help because they want you to be, uh, you know, smarter on this, more keen on this. So It's a win-win. It's absolutely a win-win, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I say thank you for all the hard work you guys have put in putting this together. I have done these types of things and I know how much work goes into them. So <laughs> I take my hat off to you both. Julie Smith, Security Alliance Executive Director and Kelvin Coleman, National Cybersecurity Alliance Executive Director. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And listeners, if you want to check out these free resources to help you improve your privacy, check out identitymanagementday.org. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. All right, Joe, what do you think? Very interesting interview. Uh, It was great to hear from Julie and Kelvin. This is really interesting stuff. Digital identities are at the core of the majority of breaches. You know, this is not really the way we think of people hacking into our systems from a security standpoint. We're always worried about somebody coming in through a vulnerability or, or finding a way through the firewall or finding something exposed. But the vast majority of breaches are from somebody getting username and password. It's easy to get. People frequently cough it up. And once you're in, you're in. One of the interesting points that Julie makes is that identity is viewed as an operational function and not a security function. That's very telling. And I think that is in, indicative of an issue within the tech industry. Identity should be a security managed system, or at least have security insight. It shouldn't be just operational. I understand that you need to get these 
people up and running. New employee shows up. You got to get them access to everything and you have to set up their identity and create it. And But security should absolutely be involved in this at some point. I think in a lot of organizations they are, but this is the authentication part of the AAA, right? Authentication, authorization, and auditing. And it's it's the first thing that users have to do from a security standpoint when they, when they come into your system. They have to uh, authenticate and, and identify themselves. From the customer standpoint, Kelvin was talking about don't wave around your PII. Dave, do you remember when you were a kid and you had like your first wad of cash and you pulled it out and you waved it around to your parents and you look at the money I have. And your parents said, right. Don't do that. Your birthday or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) Your parents said, don't do that. Don't, don't flash Mm -hmm. your money around. Mm -hmm. Right. And then Mm -hmm. later in high school, there was the kid who, uh, whose parents never told him that he had no problem flashing money around, right? He deliberately opened his wallet up so you could see that there were many bills in there or, you know, he might even pull it out and go, oh yeah, I got to put that back. And then fanning himself with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And then later the kid tells you, Hey, I'm missing 40 bucks. Right. Mm -hmm. This is just like that. (laughs) <laughs> right? Don't be the kid that waves everything around. Don't put all your personal identifiable information out on Facebook. You know, one of the big things we're seeing right now is people are posting their vaccination cards up. Well, those vaccination cards have information on them about you. Don't wave those around. From the development side, we do want to make the authentication experience frictionless because it's easier for the customer. There's at least an equal amount of responsibility that rests on the developers, if not more, to make the system secure and, if possible, frictionless. I understand we all want a frictionless user experience, but at the same point in time, asking people to use multi-factor authentication is something that people will get used to very quickly, and it will become almost frictionless. I use a YubiKey for a lot of my authentication. It's plugged into my computer right now. It only functions when I touch it. So, I mean, it's literally me reaching down to my tower case here and just touching something on the YubiKey, and that's it. That's all I have to do. It's a great multi-factor authentication that's very secure, and it doesn't require much from me once I've set it up. I would say it's really close to frictionless. Uh, Password hygiene, Julie was talking about 30% of users using the same password on everything. I'd like to talk to these people. (laughs) (laughs) I think this should be a job interview question. Because as Julie points out, if I can compromise your Yahoo password and you use that password for work, guess what? I'm in. Yeah, I remember the one time that I would I had a, a more corporate job, um, and I, they were onboarding me, and the IT folks came down, and you know, one of the first things, uh, you know, the guy said, "All right, I need you to cr- create a password for yourself. It has to be at least thirteen characters long. It has to have this, has to this." And I was like, "Uh, crap!" Right. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> and then he's like, "All right, now I need you to create a different password. That is, it's all the oh crap." You know? <laughs> right. But. but <laughs> but I think, and I had to sit there and think about it for you know a couple minutes. And this was in the days before I was using a password manager. But um, the good part about it was that it kept me from falling back on some of the default passwords or even the default password formulas that I thought I was so clever in using. Right, right which we all know now are not so clever. They are not clever at all. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, our thanks to uh, Carol Terrio for joining us. And of course, we want to thank our guests, uh, Julie Smith and Kelvin Coleman, for taking the time. We do appreciate that as well. 
That is our show. We'd like to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.